Hello and welcome to a special preview of the Euro 2020 quarterfinals. In this mini-episode, we'll be discussing Belgium versus Italy, which is the second of the quarterfinals to take place, taking place at 8pm British time tomorrow on Friday. It sure is, and much like the last one, we've divided this preview into three key areas for each team. What to expect from them tactically, the players that we think will be the game-changers, and how we see the two sides interacting on the pitch um, let's start with tactics. Um, you know, how? what do we expect? What are we looking out for in, in this matchup? Yeah, what, what do we know from these teams based on what we've seen so far? Um, and these are two very interesting teams. They're two of the teams that people have sort of been looking at as dark horses from game week one, really, or match day one, uh, really, um, Italy, because they were just doing so well. They absolutely dominated uh, Turkey in their first game. And Belgium, just because they've always sort of had that air of being a top team that have never quite got the trophies to, to, to match that, um, at least in their current iteration. Belgium have been really interesting because they've been playing, as many teams have this tournament, with wing-backs, but they've been playing it in a slightly different fashion. Aside from Torgan Hazard's goal in the semi, in a, sorry, uh, round of 16 against Portugal, their wing-backs haven't been that aggressive. They've had a much more conservative style. Even Torgan Hazard, who is a midfielder by trade, and you would expect, you know, as a result to be sort of bombing forwards a lot, has kind of been tucking in a fair bit, operating just behind the strikers. He hasn't been doing some of the stuff that we've seen from, for example, Robin Gosens or Leonardo Spinazzola, where they're basically becoming an extra winger on the outside. Um, but the benefit of this is these wingbacks have done really well to provide support across the midfield and at the back as well. Uh, one of the things that I think everyone was thinking about looking at Belgium going into this tournament was as exciting as the front line in the midfield was, they had quite an ageing central defence. Um, and in their last game, they had Vermaelen, Vertonghen and Alderweireld as the back three, who are all deep on the wrong side of 30. And yet they haven't looked exposed yet. Yeah, it, it's definitely been an interesting kind of evolution over the course of the tournament, because definitely that's how they started out. And then as Belgium have kind of grown as a team into their matches, we've kind of started to see um, Thomas Mounier and... Thorganazar start to creep a little higher up the pitch and start to contribute a little more um, attacking wise but definitely in the early games and as a fullback they have been really solid defensively They've been playing more sort of as you would expect wingbacks to play I would have said and I feel like one of the defining things of this tournament when we look back at it you know, down the line, is going to be just these crazy wingbacks that we've seen for various teams, whether it's Denzel Dumfries or Spinazzola or, or, or um, you know, Gosens, as I was mentioning just there, who sort of just end up playing on, like, sometimes even the opposite wings that are just running all over the pitch. Um, whereas Belgium, obviously Torgan Hazard has still been good coming forwards, as has Thomas Meunier, but they've been playing in a way that you sort of expect wingbacks to play, like bomb forwards for the odd cross and maybe join the attack, but not playing as a fifth winger. <laughs> Yeah, true. I think um, you're right. They do have quite a solid uh, structural um, integrity in terms of that keeping their formation, um, which has been interesting because obviously they've got quite a lot of creativity um, definitely going forward. So yeah, it's been it's been quite a nice balance, I'd say. It hasn't always worked out for them um, because I think in a, in a couple of games they've definitely struggled um, to be a little bit more creative. I'm thinking mostly, to be fair, just just in the Portugal game, um, but that was also their toughest test yet. 
Well, it's funny because we, I don't know if you remember, we talked about, I don't know if it was even the first game had been played or maybe it was just after the first game, sort of round of games and tournaments been played, but we talked about how weirdly similar Belgium were as a squad to England and how they had like a lot of the same like areas of proficiency and they had a lot of the same vulnerabilities. And in terms of how they've played this tournament, it's also been quite similar to England in a lot of their games. They've sort of tried to slow a lot of games down, wait for the big chances to turn these games over, sometimes sort of have you sweating on the edge of your seat and sort of going, oh, have they have they been too defensive this time? But for the most part, sort of relying on sort of bursts and little moments in the game to, to find a result. And it's actually, I mean, this won't happen unless both teams make the final, which is, you know, by no means a foregone conclusion. But I would be really interested to see these teams and their current iterations play against each other because I think they employ a very similar style. Yeah, they do. And obviously they, they came up against each other in the, the World Cup and they kind of played each other to a bit of a stalemate, but also Belgium weren't fielding their strongest side. I don't think we were either. I mean, Belgium have been similar to England, except for the fact that they've scored like eight goals, which you know England have categorically not done. Um, so I, I think that they're kind of just us, but maybe a little further down the line or a little bit more refined. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's give and take, isn't it? Because they've scored more goals, but they've conceded more goals as well. I mean, they've only conceded one goal in the tournament. Yeah, it's more goals though, mate, isn't it? <laughs> one more goal. It's not, it's not a significant <laughs> outlay versus like us scoring one or, or no goals in every game. They've, they've got two um, goals in two games, three goals in another. No, I, I think they are definitely a little bit further on than England in their, in their um, you know, development. But they may not get the chance to do it this tournament because, unfortunately, they'll be missing Kevin De Bruyne uh, in this game. And they'll also be missing Eden Hazard, which are both sore misses. Kevin De Bruyne much more so, particularly because we've seen over the course of the tournament Belgium play well, you know, in parts without Eden Hazard making a big impact. But just like thinking of the Denmark game, um, how they sort of struggled in that game and didn't really look like they were making an impact. And then, you know, KDB came on and just changed the whole thing. And as much as I like Therese Mertens and Yannick Carrasco, who I both think are great players, it's just it's just like being the deputy to Kevin. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best players in the world. He's like top three or top two. So whoever you have instead of him, but it's always going to be a massive downgrade. Definitely, yeah. They're, they're really going to be missing Kevin De Bruyne, definitely more so than, than Eden Hazard. But hopefully they can go without him. They do have other great creativity um, through yeah Mertens and Carrasco and... They're not going to be without good players, but yeah, they, they might just lose a little bit of that edge. Yeah, I think so. Um, and that edge is kind of what they'll need against an Italy side that have been really, really solid at the back. They haven't, you know, they, they have also conceded only one goal, which is, as you mentioned, they're the second best defensive uh, record in the league. Um, and Italy have been really good at not only denying teams good quality chances, but just chances in general. They've conceded um, the fourth fewest shots on average of any team in the tournament and also have averaged 20 shots on goal across their four games, which is the highest rate of teams. So they're a team that really knows how to transition well from defence to attack, which they do with a lot of pace, with a lot of guard in the midfield. They are good at getting shots on target. They are good at denying the opposition good quality shots on target themselves. And they have a very fluid formation, which watching it is kind of dangerous because it's sort of the same thing that Germany did, except Germany almost became a little bit too committed to the sort of 3-4-3 thing with, with Gersons and Kimmich, which is why I think England beat them. Whereas Italy, you kind of don't even know what they're going to go for. They start with like a 4-3-3, and at times it becomes a 3-4-3, at times it even becomes like a 3-2-5. Spinet Sola has been key, sort of becoming, as we were talking about there, sort of like at times he's a left back, at times he's a left wing back, at times he's a left winger. 
And what's good about combat, what compensates for that is that Giovanni Di Lorenzo sort of joins the centre backs, comes comes in, and the two midfielders drop deep, and then normally the third member of that midfield moves forwards and sort of becomes like another member of the attack as well. And what's really nice about that is that of all the players they have, you think about like Barella, Verratti, Jorginho, um, Locatelli, none of them are particularly like attacking, attacking midfielders, but they've all been able to sort of fulfil that role. Even someone like Verratti, who you would think of as like a classic sort of not defensive midfielder per se, but sort of more deep-sitting player, has really driven forwards in a lot of the games and done it to great effect. And because you don't really know which run of the track, because all players can do it in that midfield, it makes Italy really tough to figure out. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's going to be an interesting battle because, as we said, Belgium are a little bit more... I don't want to say rigid because that implies weakness, but they've definitely been a lot more static in their formation. And, you know, will Italy... I don't think that's a I think everyone in the in the tournament has been more rigid than Italy just because they've been the most fluid. Yeah, so it's just kind of whether or not, you know, Belgium sticking to their guns and what they're good at is going to be enough to, to combat a side that can, you know, chop and change as and when it needs to. Um, definitely going to be an interesting tactical battle and looking forward to seeing how the two managers decide to, to line up because, as you say, or kind of you implied, um, Roberto Mancini as Italy manager is just a cut above the rest in some ways um, compared to the other managers that you you see across the international teams. So you definitely got to give him a lot of credit for how he's approached it. He's given everyone minutes. Um, it's something that he said that he, uh, he, he missed. I think um, at one point in his playing career, he went to a world cup or a euros and didn't get a single minute. And he said he hated it so much that he was determined to, to let everyone at least get on the pitch, which is why Sirigu got um, subbed on at one point in like the 88th minute or something silly. Um, yeah, but yeah, the 89th he... minute of the last group game against Wales, wasn't it? Yeah, he said everyone's going to get minutes. And I think everyone bar one has so far. I think 25 of the 26 have got minutes so far. I think you're right, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, I think he, he's very, very good. The squad is very, very good. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about, um, you know, obviously Italy's win against Austria, but the fact that they have all these players who are sort of like bench players in players like Piscina and Federico Chiesa, who is probably going to start this game now after scoring such a good goal in the last game and I think scoring in the game before that. Uh, no, he didn't score in the game before that. It was it was also Piscina, but had a great game in Italy's third group game. Um so I would imagine he's probably going to have ousted um, Berardi. But then you're saying Berardi's coming off the bench, which is which is also really, really no... no pretty, pretty dangerous, yeah. No yeah, exactly. no slouch. Um, Let's, I think... Thinking um, about... I'll go, I'll go. Um, yeah, so in order to combat this exciting, vibrant Italy side, I think that Belgium's key players are really going to have to come to the forefront. And for my game changer, I've picked Thomas Mounier. Um, I think that, I guess, similar to um, what we talked about last um, yesterday. Oh, God. No. Similar to what we talked about in the Switzerland game, I think that the lack of kind of midfield creativity and, and the loss of a key player um, will mean that they will need to rely on their wingbacks a little more. Thomas Meunier has, I think, one goal and two assists already. He's really starting to kind of push forward a little more. And I think that he's going to be integral to Belgium maintaining a balance, keeping, keeping, you know, possession well and pushing forwards while still remaining solid defensively. 
Yeah, I think that's a good choice. I think that he could definitely be one of the major game changers. I've gone in a slightly different direction. Um, my game changer that I've picked from Belgium is Yuri Tielemans. Um, I think that winning the midfield battle is going to be absolutely key against Italy. They build everything from the centre. The domination of the centre of the pitch has allowed them to dictate every single game that they've played this tournament so far. And I look at Belgium and actually Tielemans alongside Axel Witzel is a pretty nasty pivot. And if they can figure out how to get a foothold in the midfield, it'll go a long way to establishing a winning situation for Belgium. I also think that with the loss of De Bruyne's creativity, Tielemans is going to be one of a few players, there's going to be a few to sort of fill in that void, but he's going to be having to chip in for smart pass into the final third. We might see him sort of advancing a bit more. He's going to need to sort of pick up some of that void. Obviously, he's not going to be playing in the same position that De Bruyne was sort of in that sort of um, dual attacking mids behind Lukaku, but he will also still need to sort of drive from deep and and bring those ball forward. So, So I think that he is, for me, the, the game changer. And if he has a bad game, Belgium, Belgium's number might be up. Whereas if he has a great game, that might be their route to victory. Moving into Italy, who have you got for your player to watch? Yeah, so for my game changer, I've gone for Leonardo Spinazzola. Um, it may be an obvious thing to some people who've really enjoyed the progression of inverted left-backs this tournament, um, but I just think he's just too important to leave out. It's an interesting one because inverted left-backs are kind of the new thing of this tournament, but in a way they're also not. Like We've seen players like Aspel Equator and Kieran Trippier do this in the past, but there's sort of been like a new utilisation of this role. Like Aspel Equator's never been like a fifth winger, and I've talked about this a lot this episode, but I think that's just because, not something I'm obsessed with, it's just been something that's been very influential this tournament, and interestingly maybe someone that'll come into the Premier League and the other domestic leagues next season and I always think it's very interesting when you see something that happens on the international scene that then influences the domestic leagues around the world um, so yeah I, I think that he is going to be very very key he is always impactful in all phases of Italy's game uh, particularly when they have control of the game and his heat map from the game against Austria he was touching the ball more in the final third than he was in his own defensive third, um, such as the effectiveness of him sort of when Italy feel in control of the game. Yeah, uh, so so important for just their overall style of play and, the, and their build-up, as well as um, their balance. So I, I think uh, that's um, a pretty good option, and it's actually who I picked as well. Um, so I, I'm patting myself on the back as well as you, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a he's a great player, and I would be surprised if we saw him at a top club next year. Well, I suppose Roma fans would take issue with you suggesting that their their legendary historic club is not a top club, Rupert. <laughs> well, one that regularly competes in the Champions League over the last couple of years. Good lord, add fuel to the fire. <laughs> um, I mean, I I also think he's he he fits Roma pretty well. I, I'm not sure he would want to leave, but. I wouldn't be surprised if if he does get snapped up by, you know, a uh, a foreign a foreign club, a non-Italian club. Well, it will be interesting if indeed this tournament does signal a shift towards this kind of system. It'll be funny to see if this is something that was just like in a mad summer of Euro 2020 or if it's something that has more of a long-term effect because if it's the former, it'll be just a fond memory and nothing more. If it's the latter, players like Spinazzola and Gerson's, their stock will suddenly just massively rise and we may see players who already play as wingbacks in a system like, for example, Chelsea's wingbacks suddenly convert to like, we'll be seeing Ben Chilwell even more attacking than before. Yeah, it's funny because I could really see it going either way in the sense that obviously after every major international tournament, a lot of players do get picked up off the back of it. But 
because these these inverted left backs are so niche and so specific in the role, I think that there's a chance that they it might not kick on unless a couple of top managers decide to try and make it their bread and butter. Well, you, things lead from the front, don't they? So if Italy win the Euros or even make the final playing that system, like I remember when Kieran Trippier started at left back for England in the first game, and everyone was like, "Oh, Kieran, Tri- he's right footed. Why is he playing at left back?" And, and over the course of like three weeks, the international mood has gone a right footed left back. How rare and coveted. <laughs> How interesting. Exactly. Um, yeah, true. I mean, Gosen's out, sadly. Um, he was a joy to watch. Spinning solo. I mean, I don't know who I'm going to be supporting in this match, but I'd be happy to watch more of Spinazzola. Yeah, I don't know who I'm going to be supporting either, actually. I was just, I was looking at both things and I was like, obviously, I don't know. I'd be happy to see either of them them progress, to be honest. I mean, Belgium, as we talked about, I think it'd be really interesting to watch them match up against England, but but Italy, I just think have been the most exciting side so far, so I kind of want to watch them play as much as possible. Definitely. And then, um, yeah, how do you see them them matching up against each other? I think the midfield battle is going to be very key. I think we both talked about that with your sort of selection of uh, Munier, my selection of Yuri Tielemans. I think finding a foothold in the midfield is going to be where the game is won. And for that reason, I think Italy are coming into this with a massive upper hand. Um, I think Belgium are really going to struggle to create chances. Um, not that they create tons of chances to begin with, because they do sort of, as we talked about, find those small chances and you put pressure on those moments. And against Italy, who haven't allowed a lot of chances to begin with, and without Kevin De Bruyne and without Eden Hazard, I just feel like this is going to be a really disappointing fizzle out for Belgium. I would love to be proved wrong. I would love players like Yannick Carrasco and um, Dries Mertens to sort of very ably fill that void, because particularly, I've always really liked Yannick Carrasco uh, in particular. But um, yeah, it's just hard for me to look at those two teams. One that is, you know, dropping players from their first team because their bench has done so well in in terms of someone like Chiesa and and Berardi or Verratti and Locatelli, and the other that is having to sort of dig through the bench because their top players are injured. Yeah, true. I mean, I think um, the only thing I would say is that just to maybe round it all off, is I feel like if Belgium are going to get anything from this game, their key players are really going to have to have unbelievable performances. Like Lukaku is going to have to just step up even more so maybe than he has done already. Um, players like Yuri Tielemans, as you say, is going to have to be just such a monster in midfield. Um, and, you know, we will see if they're able to do that. But I agree that Italy have the advantage. They definitely go into this the stronger side in total on paper, but Belgium have a couple of slightly brighter stars, I'd say. So it's all to play for. It definitely is. And I think that's a great place to wrap it up for our second preview. Please look forward to our next two previews that will be coming uh, early tomorrow morning or as soon as we can finish editing them and get them out. Um, Rupert, great to talk to you as always. Cam, thanks very much. And I'll catch you next time. Cheers, guys. Bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron MacDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.